0: Okay, my name is Chris Lane, and uh, it's my privilege to, uh, to share God's word with you for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. And uh, I want you to know right up front that it really is important that you don't just get this message, but you get next week as well. I simply cannot pack into this time allotted to me everything that needs to be said about this passage. But we're beginning this new series called Living Forward. Let me just try and uh, tell you what, what we have in mind for that. You know, um, we look forward, we talk about looking forward to something. So for example, you know, our life resol- revolves around our grandchildren and, and uh, every now and then uh, My daughter will ring me up and say, we're gonna go up to uh, Dunstable Downs next Saturday, and do you wanna come? It'd be fun to just hang out together. Uh, And we say yes, yes, and double yes, and we'll spend all week looking forward to that. And you know, on the day we get up, we have our breakfast, we go up there, we have a coffee, we run around, we fly kites, we go for a walk, great fun. You know, we look forward to things. Now, next year, we're gonna be visiting my other daughter and our other set of grandkids. The trouble is, as many of you know, they live in California. We look forward to that, but more than that, we have to live forward to it. We, we don't just get up and go. In order to visit our grandkids every year, uh, we have to make plans, we have to make sacrifices, we put up with less than now, so that we can have more than later. It's living forward, not just looking forward, it's living forward. And what our conviction is, is in the gospel, in the Christian church, we are called to be not just looking forward to that great day when Jesus comes and and takes us all home, but we have to live forward. Because we need to live life now in the light of eternity. We need to live life now as if our life depended upon it. Now, our eternal life depends on Jesus. But we're called, and Christians are called, to make sacrifices now and to do things that perhaps we don't enjoy so much and to do without maybe certain things in order to prepare ourselves for the heaven that is to come but also to fulfill our mission and purpose in this earth. You got it? all not enthusiastically. So now when you see living forward, which you will see a fair old bit over the next few weeks, as we run up to Christmas, you know what we're talking about. It's not just looking forward, we're living forward. Talking of looking forward, we had a wonderful thing happen this week. Uh, we, had, we, we reached our target figure for the GLS, which is, as you know, next weekend. And by the way, if you wanna to come to the GLS, we've had a bit of a chat and we can do some day tickets, so if you can only make the Friday or only make the Saturday turn up, you have to pay on the door. There are some rooms for volunteers still, so, so take, take hold of that if you want. Secondly, we had some great news because Lance Pitluck, who will be known to a few of you, who is the senior pastor of the Anaheim Vineyard. That's the church that Fliss and I were sent out from 25 years ago. He wasn't senior pastor then, John Wimber was, but he, Lance Pitluck is now the senior pastor of, of the uh, Anaheim Vineyard in Southern California, and an old friend. He's coming to preach here in two weeks' time. That is just so cool. Somebody go, yee that's very sort of elegant yee Now it's the guy's turn, the guy's turn, you've got to do yee-haw. Come on, guys. yee Great, good, that's good. That's what we do in Hatfield all the time, isn't it, darling? She's looking at me saying, what are you doing? Okay, a little bit of... I don't know what I'm doing, actually. And then uh, three weeks in the evening, we've got one of our lovely evenings, renewal evenings, lots of other churches will come, and that's with Ellie Mumford. So we have got some fantastic 25th anniversary treats, and God has blessed us beyond our wildest imaginings this year. So, okay, living forward, let me read Hebrews chapter 12 then, this is very much a a passage that ties in with this theme. And if you have a Bible, it'll come up on the screen, but you might like to look at this passage with me. I'm actually gonna read the first three verses. It begins with a therefore. And whenever you come across a therefore in the scriptures, you do need to look back because obviously there's an argument that has been placed. And in Hebrews 11, the preceding chapter, the writer to the Hebrews, has listed the heroes or some of the heroes of the faith throughout the scriptures, those who have fought the good fight have finished the race, those who have lived forward, have put up with all manner of, of difficulties and struggles. Sometimes they've, they've seen success and victory in their own life. Sometimes they've had to just you know give it on and hand it on to the next person, like a baton in a relay race. They didn't actually get to finish the race or uh, completely. They set things up. So David, for example, King David, he gathered all the materials for the building of the temple, but he didn't build it himself, his son Solomon did. So chapter 11 is full of the heroes of the faith and it talks about their witness, their life, their example. And so the writer to the Hebrews therefore says, therefore, in the light of all that, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. and Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, living forward, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Living forward. There are a lot of verses that we could draw on to illustrate this, and we will draw out a few more, but we're gonna spend this week and next week just um, looking deeply into this passage and trying to understand it in such a way that it begins to get under our skin and helps us to live forward. So the first thing I want to say about this is, Paul's point is, the writer's point, is that we are not alone. We are not alone. One of the little themes that has been running through this year has been God is with us. And that has been so wonderful and so heartening and so encouraging, but you are not alone. You are not alone because You are, if you are a follower of Jesus and a member of this church, you are a part of this faith community. You are connected, we're connected in the spirit. That communion event that we had earlier on is that event which Jesus gave us and symbolizes that profound and spiritual connection that we have. One body broken, shared by all of us that unites us in the one body. You are not alone in the spirit, Now we all have lonely times, times when we feel abandoned, times when we feel hopeless. That is part and parcel of what it is to be human. It's the old man or woman in us. You know, the sin into which we were born and the sin into which we gave ourselves leads to separation, it results in separation from God and as he is is the very source of life, we feel disconnected. And, and I, even after all these years of following Jesus, there are days when I feel disconnected. I feel like I'm on my own. I feel like it's all down to me. Anybody ever feel like that? No, well there you go, you see. So this, this business is, is, we need to be reminded that we are not alone. We are not alone because we are part of actually a huge, great, as, as, as the writer calls it, a cloud of witnesses. You are never on your own. You see, we just see this present reality, but the true reality is that we are working out our lives, bringing in the kingdom of God, and we're surrounded, as as the scripture says, by a great great cloud of witnesses. Now, some of you who know your Bibles a little bit, will want me to say that that word witnesses in the Greek is maturiae. It means, it comes from that word that we derive martyr for. Being a Christian costs. Being a Christian costs. It costs us. We have to make sacrifices. We have to do things that sometimes we might find difficult. That whole series earlier on in the year when When I I taught about the the walking across the room, you know, stepping outside of our zone of comfort into the zone of the unknown so that we can reach out and include others into God's family. We can connect, we can begin conversations which please God will lead to that individual becoming a follower of Jesus. This doesn't always come naturally. What comes naturally is that we wanna stay with those we know, those whom we feel safe, those whom we feel comforted with, but as followers of Jesus, no one is exempt. It is no excuse to say, well, that's not my personality, Chris. No one is excused. Jesus said to us, going to all the nations of the world, making disciples and instructing them in everything I have taught you. That's... That's the commission. That's what we're called to. So we, we step out. Being a maturian, being a witness sometimes costs us. Okay, we're not going to be burnt at the stake, but it still costs us. And your faith should cost you. It should inconvenience you. And if it doesn't, you're probably aiming the bar too low, aiming your sights too low. The second thing I need to say about the third thing, rather, about we are not alone is simply this that God is with us. That is something we need to carry with us. Uh, what do you get up to when you're on your own, when you've got a little bit of downtime? There was a little article on the radio this week where uh, some people were talking about what, what they do when they're on their own, and I'm not even going to repeat any of them. It's like some sort of picking toenails and stuff like that. It was really gross. So I'm not gonna, I, I tried it on Fliss in the car, and she said, "You're not going to share that at church tomorrow." Are you? I said, "Well, I was going to." What? She said, "Oh, ew!" So I can't even. You know, I'm not even going to go it down that thing. But we've all done those things. You know, what do you do on your own? I mean, what do you do when you're in your car, for example? Do you have uh, how many of you? Okay, we'll, this is a big confession time. How many of you have? Um, sort of arguments with, with people in the car, not that they're there, you're just rehearsing an argument. Have you ever sort of torn a strip off somebody in the car? You know, you know you've given them a jolly good talking to, you know, <laughs> only me, oh. Oh, two of us. <laughs> you know, when you're really riled about something and you drive away, you think, God, I should have saw- said that, I should have said this. It is funny what people get up into their cars, you know. You know these days, I often see people talking and, I, and I'm assuming that they're on a mobile. But I pulled up alongside this young lady two weeks ago and she was doing this and then she looked over at me and she was really embarrassed. <laughs> so she obviously gave the game away. I wouldn't have thought anything about it. She was just on the phone, but no, she was talking to herself. How many of you talk to yourself in the cars? Go on, yes. But you're not alone. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you are not alone. This is Paul's point. He says, we live out our lives in the company of a great cloud of witnesses. All is laid bare. And he says, in the light of that, you know, be reminded of that. Be reminded about who has gone before and what they've laid down in order that you might have life and might have the gospel today. Remember that, cherish that, be respectful of that. And he goes on, he goes on, he says, therefore in the light of that, do the following. He says, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. The sense in that is that these are heavy weights. It's not just sort of being buffeted by life's pressures and difficulties. It's stuff you carry with you, the baggage that you carry with you. Anxieties about trivial things, ambitions, self-aggrandizement, resentments at other people, secret greed for bodily appetites. This is stuff that you carry with you. Now, and some athletes, and you know, I know we have one or two here, Dan used to be an athlete. Sometimes when you're in training, you might you know, load up some weights, you know, run up a hill with a great you know, rapsack on the back full of rocks to build up stamina. You know, sometimes pressure and opposition builds a bit of character, and certainly God uses that. But I'm talking about junk you carry with you. And the writer to the Hebrews says, Whatever it is that is hindering you, that passion, that appetite, that ambition, whatever it is, get rid, do what you need to do, just dump it by the side of the road. It is not worth it. These things will hinder you. He goes on, he unpacks it a little bit more. He says, and the sin that so easily entangles. I've got this little thing. You know, when we go on holiday, where we stay, when we're visiting my daughter in California, uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to stay in this wonderful place that overlooks the Bay of San Luis, which is lots of wildlife, but just in front of where we stay, there is a huge kelp bed. Now, many of you know about kelp beds. They can be hun- these, these strands of kelp can be 100 meters long. They're huge, great things. And we often see kayakers sort of gently paddling around these kelp beds and they, you know, it looks great because they're up close and personal with the wildlife, but it always makes me shudder. I'll tell you why. It may not work for you, but this is, I hate the idea of swimming and having weeds and things entangling up my legs. I don't know why, does that get, oh, there's something. It's not that I have a problem with kelp. It doesn't make me go, Glug. it's not that I have a problem with swimming, certainly not a problem with wildlife, but just the idea of being in, being in the water and then being entangled by something creeps me out. Paul's point is this, is that sin entangles. It doesn't, it's just not, a, it, it's not just a one-off event, oh I blew it today, oh well never mind, better t- luck tomorrow. It tends to cling. So you're carrying heavy weights, ambitions and resentments and things you wanna do and things you wanna be and all the rest of it and then you add to that a bit of sin and a bit of entanglement and before you know it, you are dead meat. And the writer of the Hebrews says, let go of that garbage, leave it by the side of the road and the sin that entangles us. You know this, it's worth telling you again. It is sin that separates us from the love of God. All that longing to come home, all that longing to know God, all of that is scuppered by sin. That's why it's so wonderful when we come to Jesus, when we say, Jesus, please, would you forgive my sin? When we begin to realize that his death on the cross meant that he died for the sins of the world, that's yours and mine. When we begin to recognize and acknowledge that, suddenly it occurs to us that we could be without sin, we could be forgiven, and a whole new life begins. You know, a lot of the old sort of Puritan uh, preachers, they used to love the whole imagery of coming to the foot of the cross and your burden falling away. Being washed in the blood of Jesus, that sin being washed off you, that sort of sin being like a release, the blood of Jesus being like a release agent that releases you from all that entanglement and of course, in that great Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, it's at the foot of the cross where this great burden he's been dragging falls away. He's been trying to be a religious person up till that point. He's been trying to live a good life, but suddenly he realizes it's not down to his efforts. It's down to the blood of Jesus which sets us free. And for somebody this morning, that is something you need to hear. So anyway... The writer of the Hebrews says, drop the garbage, leave all those selfish ambitions and all those non-kingdom things beside the road and be free of that sin. And then it goes on. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now you will have already noticed that I'm being a little cautious about who I'm attributing this book of the Hebrews to. It, for, uh, for the first 1,200 years of, of Christian thought, it was believed that Paul wrote it. That It is not believed that Paul wrote it now. They, without going into sort of tedious detail, they think possibly Apollos wrote it, or Barnabas even, who traveled, traveled with Paul. But Paul, talking of Paul, one of the, the motifs in his teaching and his, uh, uh, you know, his explanation of the gospel is the race. He sees the Christian life as a race. It's all about running a good race. And it's not a hundred meter sprint, it's a marathon. It really is a marathon. And in any marathon, you'll go through various phases. It's so helpful to understand it and see it as a marathon, see the Christian life as a marathon. There'll be the enthusiasm of the start where you all go charging off, several thousand of you, if you're running one of these great city-wide marathons, might all kick off at the same time. And for the inexperienced runners, you may run a little too hard, a little too soon, and so when you're seven or eight miles into the run, suddenly you're feeling absolutely dead because you've, you've been caught up with it all and you've charged off. There are many people who approach the Christian life like that. One of the things that, this is a very a serious and slightly personal point, one of the things that grieves me as a pastor of this church for over 25 years is the number of people who we've welcomed in, somebody's walked across the room and invited them in and they've come in and they've begun to get it and they begin to, you know, warm to what's happening and then they meet with Christ, maybe they do an alpha and then they get baptized uh, and then they start going to a small group and, and they, they go, in fact, suddenly they're at everything. Like every meeting we have, we turn up and they're there and they're serving and all the rest of it, that's thrilling. But I get nervous because three years on, suddenly they disappear. Now I'm not saying don't do those things, do those things, we need people to help and serve, but what I am saying is I have seen it all too often. There are people who come, they flare, they blaze blaze bright but then they get winded and it's getting too hard and a few issues at home and maybe some money issues and then the sin that they thought they were free from keeps nipping at their heels and they get discouraged and they get despondent and it kills me. And I see these people in my mind when I close my eyes. I don't go home and as my head hits the pillow think of, You know, it's absolutely true. I don't lie there thinking about the glorious successes of the St. Albans Vineyard. I lie there fretting and tossing and turning about our weaknesses and the problems and the issues that we have. Ask my wife. I keep her awake at night. But I see these people as well. I am grieving. There are two or three names on my heart at the moment. People who've done exactly as I've described and I'm saying to myself, where are these people? What's happening? Are we following them up? I what can we do? And then there's some sorry tale. I I, I heard, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I heard of one one person who I, I just really thanked God, wonderful story of deliverance and salvation and beginning to become useful, and I heard they went on a Hare Krishna weekend two weeks ago breaks my heart. They run the race. We need to understand that it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We need to understand that. And if that means you've got to pace yourself, so be it. I don't know quite how to apply that other than to say this. Live forward, folks. The finishing line is when you get to Glory. And it's how we finish that matters, not how we start. Where are you at at this moment? Are the hindrances, are the heavyweights, are the ambitions, the disappointments, the resentments, the, the appetites beginning to slow you down? Is sin beginning to entangle you again? Wake up, please. Wake up. Like the boxer at the end of a very difficult fourth or fifth round, the seconds come in and they give him a bit of smelling salts, like, I wanna do that with some of you folk. Wake up, please. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who know what it's like. Please remember, this is a marathon. You know, hunker on down, man up. Realize that there are going to be times when it's difficult and stressful, and just push on through because the scripture says your enemy, the devil, will flee from you. Resist him. Your enemy, the devil, will flee from you. So, there we have it. This is a race. Get rid of the baggage, you know. Finish the race. Finish the race. Finish the race. 1 Corinthians 9.24, let's just throw that up, thank you. Do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Go into training, get into prayer with someone, get into, go to a life group, do something that'll just keep you in that place where you finish the race. As for me, I've said it and you think I'm joking. I want to finish this race breathless, bruised, but rejoicing. I want to enter heaven and get heaven's high five. Amen? You know, I occasionally, not that I'm a cyclist, heaven forbid, I'm way past that now. But I sometimes watch the Tour de France. Anybody watch that? Because it's such an extraordinary thing. These guys are killing themselves going up and down the Alps and stuff. But the thing I am always just mesmerized by are the crowds. Do you know what I mean? The crowds stand on either side of the roadway. And often they're across the road. And as they ride, as the riders ride flat out, so the crowds kind of fall back. So they're kind of. Riding through an envelope, I, I, you know, someone's going to get hit sometimes, and sometimes it does happen. But the crowd are in there; they're cheering them on. They're going, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." That's what the writer to the Hebrews wants to tell you. Heaven is surrounding you, up close and personal. You can feel the breath of Christ on your neck, and they're going, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." That's how it is, you feel alone, we all feel alone. You feel disconnected, we all feel disconnected. The reality is, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, live your life in that understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when you fly across the finishing line, pedaling like fury, when you burst through into the courts of the king, let the angels come and go bang like that with you. High five, you did it. Den and I were sort of playing on this idea this week, and I was saying, God forbid that I arrive in heaven thinking I've done a great job, and whoa, yeah, whoa, great. And I come in, and the angels are there going, Hi, Chris, and nobody wants to make eye contact. Have there been those occasions in your life? Maybe not. There have been one or two in mine where I thought I did really well. I was expected to be sort of lauded and applauded. But when I arrive at the, where it was, people go, hiya. Sheesh. I don't want the angels to be going, hi Chris. Sheesh. Because they knew what could have been accomplished. They know what sacrifice could have made and the fruit that could have come for that. It's not about how we start. It's about how we finish. It's not just sort of sitting back and looking forward to heaven, you know, getting on with our life now and oh, and at the end we get to go to heaven. That'll be fun. It's about living forward. Living in the light of eternity. 2 Timothy four seven eight 8 says this. I want to be able to say this. Why don't we just read this out together? Let this be written on our heart. Paul says to Timothy, at the end of his life and ministry, bruised, broken, breathless, battered and bloody, he says this, I have fought the good fight. Read it with me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's the finishing line. He can say that because he know it's, knows it's true. Folks, there are days when I just want to give up. There are days when I want to walk away from it all. Ask my wife. But the reality is, I still present myself before the Lord my God every morning. Sometimes I rejoice with him, sometimes I laugh with him, sometimes I weep with him. But I'm living forward, looking to finish the race. Amen? Amen. We'll continue this next week. Let's have the worship team up. Why don't we all stand? Thank you. By the way, while the team come up, can I just say, somebody said to me that, you know how we're looking forward to this 100 baptism thing in December? Somebody said to me that they they didn't want to be baptized at that because it's very personal. I need to say to that person, no, it ain't. There's nothing personal about being baptized, well, you know, apart from getting wet. It's a community thing. It's about you who were lost, being alone, being birthed into a body. Please understand that. Please, if you're holding back from being baptized because it want, wants it to be personal, listen, it, there's nothing private about the Christian life. We do it together. It's meant to be that way. So if that's you, just think on. Let me just pray. Father, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you that not only have you challenged us and called us to run this race, but Lord God, you have given us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to finish the race, and we give you full permission to break out among us and and build us up and strengthen us. May we become deeply rooted in you. May we grit our teeth, and like Jesus, may we set our face as he did to go to Jerusalem, but for us to finish this race and live forward. And everyone said, amen.